Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right, so I'm here with Casanova. Um, uh, I, I want you to kind of tell me uh, a little bit about your story, Cas. Uh, you know how you started your business and how you're in the position you are today. Yeah, so Casanova Brooks, um, it's funny how I got into my business. I got into real estate. Uh, well, first, I guess, let me back up a little bit, and I'll tell you a little bit about me. Um, so originally, I'm from the south side of Chicago, raised the inner city, uh, raised by a single mom, so single parent household. Dad was never around, but my grandma, luckily and fortunately enough for me, stepped in to be the father figure in my life. So I was raised pretty much by two strong women. Um, they definitely had a, a stronghold on my neck. And I was always a kid who had a lot of potential. I wasn't necessarily a troublemaker. Some would classify me as more of a class clown, but I always retained information. I was good. I was just always very active. And, and so I, I talked a lot in class. So my parents kind of always saw that I could be a first generation, whatever, right? Like they didn't go to college. They never owned businesses or anything like that. So it was always just kind of to see like, how far can this kid go? And since I was the only child, they really wanted to make sure that, that they didn't squander that opportunity, which I was fortunate um, again for. So grew up uh, inner city Chicago. And then at the end of my sixth grade year, my grandma made the decision because some of my family was migrating out of Chicago. My grandma made the decision to move me to Sioux City, Iowa. So huge, huge culture change, culture shock, right? I mean, I'm inner yeah. city kid to now move into the country. I knew nothing about this, but grandma yeah. makes this decision changes the trajectory for me. And it was just because what I grew up around was gu was drugs, gangs, violence, everything, right? I wasn't in it necessarily, but obviously that was my environment. So they seen that, you know, that was what I could have gravitated towards and I had a lot of potential. So my grandma was like, nope, I'm getting them up out of here. My mom didn't really have a choice. So she just kind of came along too. My mom Good definitely part. came along unwillingly, but I was her only child. So she's like, you know what, whatever. So then wound up making my way to Sioux City, Iowa, finished off middle school, then get into high school. I kind of weathered my second storm. And that second storm was uh, in my sophomore year in high school. I was very active, very popular, played basketball, football, track. Well, out of nowhere, um, I find myself having a hard time breathing in between football season and basketball season uh -huh. just starting. So it's like, okay, well, what's going on? And I remember walking through the hallways and telling my buddies like, yo, like I'm having a hard time breathing. And they're like, oh, it's probably just because you left football early. You know, we just started conditioning in the basketball. So you're out of shape. I'm like, okay, uh, you're probably right. Well, then when I would get home, I was talking to my, uh, my, I would start to take naps, really like a lot of naps. And my mom's like, yo, what's up with you? Like, this is unlike you. I'm like, yo, I'm just having a little bit of hard time breathing. And she's like, okay, well, if it persists, you know, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna go to the doctor. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, over the next couple of days, of course, it persists. So then um, we go, my mom says, hey, I'm gonna take you to the emergency room. So we go there and they're like, hey, you know, we're gonna do a little bit more testing. Um, you know, we think it might be something serious. So we're gonna keep him overnight. 
Now, mind you, me growing up as a child, I never had, I was never, ever sick. I never had the chicken pox, the measles, the flu, like nothing. So when they first say they're going to keep me overnight, me being ignorant, I'm like, okay, all I'm thinking of is I'm going to get sponge baths from hot nurses and ice cream. You know, I'm only 15 at this time. So I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be out of here in a day. Well, around like that, that was that night. And I remember around like 1 a.m. in the morning, doctors coming in saying, hey, you know, we think it might be something serious, more serious than what we anticipated. So we got public transportation coming here and they're going to take you guys to University of Iowa, which is on the other side of the state, about five hours away. So it was like, so then my parents are like, yo, what, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean something more serious? And they're like, well, we don't really know. And my mom's like, yo, tell us, like, what are you talking about? And then they're like, well, we think he might have cancer. And then I just remember my grandma saying, whoa, like, what? And then I'm like, oh, I don't really know what that even means. I'm like, okay. So then they wound up, you know, a couple hours later, they shipped me over to the University of Iowa and they come in after doing all this testing and they say, yeah, you know what? He has stage four uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, It's all throughout his body. And I was two weeks away from death. Like if I would have waited another two weeks because it was all throughout, I had lymph nodes all over that I could have just died. And then it was like crazy. So I spent the next 45 days in that hospital there. Um, obviously it was a very, very trying time for me because a lot of testing, I went through everything that anyone else does when they get, you know, cancer. And so, um, that was kind of the big storm that I had to weather. So I, I finished off, um, sophomore, junior year, senior year. I still graduated on time. Everything was fine. And, and, uh, then I became in remission after, uh, the end of my senior year, went off to college. Um, and that was kind of my first stint of like really trying to figure out who I was. And the reason why I say that is because obviously I just came through this trying time for anybody, no matter what age you are. Well, I yeah. graduated high school just because I was always young. And my mom, when my birthday was two weeks past the deadline when it was first time for me to start school. So this is way back yeah. in kindergarten. So mm-hmm. because of me just always, and my mom's like, no, you guys are not keeping him with me for a whole nother year you're gonna take him so she found a way to get me forced in so my whole life I was always the youngest in my class so I graduated high school at 17 go off to college well that was a big time for me because I'm like yo like I don't really know that I even want to go to college but if you remember back did you go to college yeah got it so you remember back your senior year of high school second semester what's the big question that everyone's asking you where are you going to school what are you going to do, do next do? with your life? What are you going to do next? Where are you going to school? Yeah. Right? Graduation parties, everything. And I'm like, yeah. I don't really know. And I, I didn't have any aspirations to really go to college. But my, but because my grades were okay, like they were like, yo, we want you to. So I wound up doing that my junior year in college. About two weeks into my junior year after they had dropped me off, um, I decided to call my parents up and be like, yo, this is not what I want to do anymore. Like, I don't want to be here. And first off. But they're like, yo, you could have told us this a couple of weeks ago before we just spent this money to take you back. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so they allowed me to just drop out. So I wound up taking out all of the student loans that I basically just got, dropped out of college, went to pursue music. Um, and that was kind of my first ever thing for like entrepreneurship. And then, um, then I wound up trying, I probably had in my lifetime, probably about 17, 18 different jobs. Like I've tried everything. I mean, when it comes to sales, like I was trying it all. Because again, nobody in my life ever was the, um, you know, I was never exposed to what I really could or even should be. So for me, everything in my life was always trial and error from selling Kirby vacuums to selling Jordan shoes for customer nice. service, banks, everything. And so I, I had to figure it all out. So um, I kind of, then I wound up coming back home. I worked, uh, what was it? Probably 
five or six different jobs until I found my way into serving tables. Through that, I wound up finding the power of building relationships. So what does that really mean? Um, basically, I, I, I started serving tables at a mid-level restaurant. Now, keep in mind, this is the Midwest. So I know you're out in California, um, right? So, I mean, the average plate for you guys is a lot higher, right? So here in the yeah. Midwest, it was mid-level. Average plate's probably around like $19. But more so of the story, you would come in on like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, whatever it was. And then I would say, hey, Frank, you know, just make a small talk while you're waiting in a lobby. Like, hey, you guys decided to come here. They're like, yeah. I'm like, cool. You guys are just waiting on a table. You're like, yeah, actually, we're waiting on that table in your section. Um, we see these people are about to get up. We're going to, um, you know, wait and sit in your table. So after a couple times, this like dawned on me because I was getting so many regulars that look, Frank could have went anywhere in the city tonight, but not only did he choose to come to my restaurant with his family and friends, he chose to wait on a table in a world of instant gratification because yeah. he knew that I would take care of him and everything else. And so from there, I really just started to build relationships with people. And uh, I'll let you kind of take it to where you want from this. But that was where I really started to, to, to build everything that I've built today. Got it. I love it, man. So uh, I'm kind of curious, because I've had uh, a few family members in the in the healthcare system. Uh, did what stage was your your cancer stage four? Stage four. Okay. So you had stage four and then did you go through chemo and all that? Yep. Two years. You did two years of chemo. Yeah. So I got, I had a port, the scar's still there. Obviously we're on camera, but port in my chest, I was connected to my jugular vein biopsy on my neck. So that was huge because it meant that I could no longer play contact sports. Right. And because if I got hit the wrong way, obviously I could have just, you know, died. And so on top of that, that was so weird because it was an outward appearance. So like friends and all that, they would see it. And, you know, you know kids, even at the age of 15 can be cruel, um, things like that. So I remember like buddies and things like that, like, yo, you better shut up for I knocked that poured out your chest. And then people would start laughing. And, and you have to obviously develop thick skin on that because it's kind of like that never let them see you sweat. Right. And on top of that, at the end of school days, I'm super tired because maybe I got chemo or already, you know, I'm about to go get chemo for whatever reason or medicine. And then so like friends are all going to a party or whatever. And then me knowing that I'm tired or I got to go to chemo, I have always have to figure out a line to say like, nah, guys, I got to go do this with my mom. or I got to go do that because you never want to yeah. be like, yo, I got chemotherapy. You know what I'm saying? So it was different. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um uh, yeah. So, I mean, do you believe, do you, th chemo was effective for you or do you feel like? You well, for me, obviously it, it was effective because it killed off all the bad cells, but at the same time, you know, it also kills off all the good cells. Um, and so there was definitely trying times that came with that. Uh, but I mean, I feel like, again, you're, you never have a testimonial without being tested. So uh, that was one of the storms I that I was I tested that. in, I but it, it made me stronger and it built character for me at a young age. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you obviously had to take chemo. Um, it, it helped you. Would, would you do it again if you had, if, if it came back? Yeah, it's a funny, funny that you asked that because I always, when, when I first got done, I looked my mom and grandma yeah. in the eye and I said, if it ever comes back again, I'm going out comfort care style. Right. Like I was not going to go through with it again. But now, of course, I have a wife, I have an eight year old son, and I also have oh, wow. a two year old daughter. Um, and both of them are miracle trials for my wife and I, because, you know, obviously when it does, you go through chemotherapy. Any doctor will tell you up front that there's a op there's a possibility that this can make you sterile. 
right? So for me, I had to, we had to do a lot of things on the front end and we, and for both of our children, it took us two years to have them. Um, and uh, both of them came out naturally, no NICU, no nothing. So of course now, if it was to come back, I would have to, you know, suck it up, grin and bear it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, this is kind of a sensitive subject, right? Uh, but do you feel like there's alternatives to chemo that you, you know, do you feel yeah. like, have you ever looked into that? I, to be honest with you, I haven't. I have not looked into the alternatives, things like that. Um, I just know at that time, I felt... I felt tr- I trusted my doctors, right? They one, they yeah. found this, they found this, which was which was crazy. But two, they had an opportunity to give me radiation as well. And I'll never forget, they were like, hey, we're not gonna give him radiation because we feel like it could do more harm than good. Right. And they didn't give me radiation. And for me, I mean, everything that they told me and they promised me, of course, I was a young boy and I didn't really, you know, know. All I did was put my head down and go through the motions. Yeah. Right? There was a lot of things that I hated, dyes and big pills and all that. But it felt like that they were delivering on me, at least my main doctor. So I don't I don't know. I think that there are natural therapies out there that, that probably are a little bit more effective, but just aren't touted as much. Or maybe they're too expensive for the public. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not not scientifically backed or right. whatever the case may be. Uh, there's not uh, double-blind placebo studies and stuff uh, right. for for a lot of them. But um, yeah, I just I, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, pharma industry. Uh, I think you know that that's me personally. But I mean, you you you're you speak with um, more uh, depth than I than I whatever because you actually had the the uh the the sickness my my uh my dad had sickness um and uh just medications just kept making him worse and we're like why why do doctors keep giving him these weird medications um so i don't know yeah and i mean i think i think to that point here's something else i was 15 so i didn't have a lot of choice over it right on top of that when you're younger of course we know that your 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 cells every you rejuvenate a lot faster your immune system is a lot stronger there hasn't been any drinking or things like that that can you know because if you're 40 years old there's a lot of things that can contribute to also you know so for yeah. me, I didn't have a choice. I just went with what they told me was the best option. If I had to go through it now, I would definitely educate myself again, you know, yeah. on as much as I could. More out there now, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I, yeah. so it's just hard. It would be a hard decision for me. It would be a very difficult decision. I, I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's tough, man. Um, so do you feel like that prepared you for entrepreneurship, just going through that experience? Um, yeah, it definitely did. And the reason why I say that, I mean, for me, I'll tell you that I feel like going through chemo itself. (laughs) It it was, it was, it did, but it did in the sense that, you know, it told me that it really showed me, not only told me, but it showed me that no day was promised. Right. For me, I, I think when we're young, we have the opportunity to try everything. Right. Because we're never thinking that our time's almost up. But when they said that yeah. to me, I was like, whoa, like, is my time almost up? Now I was still young and naive. And I felt like at the time I was I was Superman um, as in I just kept pushing. Right. Every single day. I didn't worry about kryptonite. I just kept, you know, flying. I just kept putting on the cape. And I seen that again, my mom and my grandma, that when a lot of people ask me about it, I mean, I don't know where they got the money. Right. Obviously, there was a lot of public assistance that helped us out. But I don't know where, you know, we had friends and stuff like that. Cause my parents, they didn't, they, my parents never owned house, car, business, nothing. So there was a lot of help that went through that. But I just kept thinking that, you know, every day you got to show up, 
you got to show up. And when I was done with it, um, I, I was like, man, I'm never going through that again. But of course, if it came back, we always say that, but until our backs are up against the ropes, we never really know how strong we are. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, and then you started uh, music, you started yeah, so that was a phase in my life that I, I'd started. I, I was heavy into music at that time. And yeah. the reason why I left college more so was for me, I was always, always a big dreamer, right? So growing up, my favorite show, if you remember this show, was VH1's The Fabulous Life Of. It was like their version of MTV Cribs. So they would show like Richard Branson and like his island. And so that was all I saw like on TV. So I was always like, man, how can I get that? So I always had big dreams. And I was never afraid to take action because I didn't have a fear of like what could go wrong because nobody yeah. was ever really putting that into me. Um, right. So for me, once I decided I was done with school, the real reason why my grades were fine, everything was going good. But I really became of the belief in my heart that just because I I had a degree did not mean I was going to be successful in life. Right. And at this time, I, my whole, I would say since I was probably around the age of 10, maybe, maybe 11, I was always fascinated. I don't know why I was always fascinated with the Forbes and like the top 400, right. Top 300. Like I would always look at all those guys and be like, they were the richest people in the world. And so that, and I learned early on that so many of those people didn't have degrees. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that kind of contributed to it as well. It was like, well, he's the richest man. In the world. He don't got no degree. Why do I got to get one? So I, I decided I didn't want to do school anymore. And I wanted to pursue, pursue something that was going to really give me a lot more impact of what I wanted, because I'd already changed my major four times in those four years. I went from business, computer science, uh, pharmaceutical sales, and then to communication at the end. I just wanted the piece of paper. But still in all, I was like, OK, even when I get this piece of paper, what the hell am I going to do with it? I didn't yeah. really know. So yeah. I think that all of that kind of contributed to it. And then, and then right now, flush it out, flush out what you're doing right now. Right now you have a business like in kind of in the restaurant industry. No. So I have multiple businesses. None are in the restaurant industry. So okay. I'm, I'm in the real estate industry and, and yeah. Right. So, so basically what happened was five years ago, um, I was working a W-2 job. Uh, this yep. was the job that got me to here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am now. And right. so it wasn't from Omaha. I got a job opportunity as a digital marketing consultant. Got this job, uh, crushing it, doing that within nine months. It was a Fortune 500 company. I finished as number eight in the company. Well, at this time, I, I really figured out that in the corporate world, everybody could tell you no, but nobody could tell you yes. Right? So yeah. they had me leading all these like emerging leader programs, all this other stuff. So I'm like, ah. But when I asked, I was like, yo, I want to try my hand at management because all you guys are getting these big bonuses off of my work, but yeah, you've never done anything like what I'm doing for the company. Just, yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh, casting over, but that position is not available. I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. So then at that time, I really started to look at YouTube and I somehow wound up coming across a YouTube video of a guy who was at the time a celebrity realtor, but now he had kind of turned into a property developer and investor and things like that. And he said something in the video that said, be the Lord of your land. And I was like, oh shit. Like, but like, what does that really mean? Like, I don't know how to be the Lord. I, nobody even owned land. And so uh, I looked it deeper into his story and I noticed that he was a celebrity realtor. And I said, okay, I don't know how to own anything. But what I do know is I could get my real estate license. I can help other people buy, sell, and invest, serve them, and then take those commissions and buy my own property. So that was what I decided to do. Four months into getting my license, which was just about three months after I saw that video. So I jumped right in, got my license. Then 
then uh, my mom and grandma calls me up and says, hey, you know what? We want to move down to be closer to you, Julie and CJ, my wife and son. And uh, there's nothing left here in Sioux City for us. And I say, okay, cool. So tell my wife within the next couple of weeks, we move my mom and grandma down here to Omaha. Within 24 hours, my mom winds up going to the hospital here in Omaha. Wow. And then within a week's time, I lose my mom at that hospital. She had oh. just turned 50 and uh, she looked just as good as any 50 year old, but she was battling cancer, right? Um, and so as a result of that, just because of where I was in life at the time, which is transitioning from inside sales at that W-2 job to another W-2 job, which yeah. was outside sales so I could build my real estate business. And then also my wife and I had our first home under contract. Well, I don't know if you own a home or not, but you probably know once you go, if you're using bank financing, once you go to close, they're going to re-verify employment. So as a result of losing my mom, I lost the job, which also meant I lost the house that we had under contract. So I lost my mom, my job, and my home all within a matter of weeks. And I was in a brand new yeah. city, no family, no friends in Omaha. And, uh, and I was like, shit, well, what am I going to do now? And uh, fast forward, nine months later, I did 46 deals, $8 million in volume here in Omaha. I got the rookie of the year. Now I'll tell you, this is not like California. The average home price here is like $187,000, right? Wow. So I wasn't slanging $3 million homes. It's obviously, I had to get out there. I had to yeah, meet well, people. Orange County, it's like, that's all there is, dude. It's like ridiculous. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I had to hustle. I had to meet people. But again, I used the gift that I had, which was building relationships. And that worked out for me. And that's where the trajectory went from. And since then, now we have, what, four rental properties. Um, I do about 6 to $8 million in real estate volume a year. I teach other people how to invest in the real estate. And my wife and I own a daycare business, um, oh, nice. which is a center, 7,500 square feet, capacity for 87 kids. We opened that up eight months ago. And uh, wow. we're up, yeah, we're up to 57 kids right now, not including school age. So I do a lot of different things and I speak all over uh, just wow. about obviously my story, real estate and, and things like that. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, and, and so what, what did you, how did you get all these sales in real estate? What, what was, what was the thing that I, I'm sure you hustled a lot, but I'm sure you had strategies and things you learned from. So what, what did you learn from um, that experience and, and what would you impart upon the audience regarding how to get more sales in the pipeline? Do you make a lot of cold calls? Are you a believer in cold calls? So I do not make a lot of cold calls. I am a believer in it, that it can work. If you pick up the phone, it absolutely works because so many people don't want to do it, right? And there's a book by Ryan Holiday, I'm pretty sure, and it says the obstacle is the way, right? And, and that's really what it is. Now, I, I say that. that. What'd you say? I love that. I love the obstacle is the way. It absolutely is. And so I, I, I believe that that is. If you're struggling, you pick up the phone, whether it's a cold lead or if you're, it's calling your sphere of influence. For me, it was always about getting in front of people. I think you also have to know what your strengths are. For me, especially having a name like Casanova, obviously I've done phone sales and things like that. It was an icebreaker, but a lot of people wouldn't even believe it. Like I heard so many, get the out of here. I almost didn't believe your name was Casanova. Right? <laughs> like, Many people don't, even in person. Sometimes I got I to gotta pull out my ID and they'd be like, oh shit, that's like really your name. Good I'm like, conversation starter. <laughs> right. That's why I say it's an icebreaker. But at the same time, it can definitely be um, tough to get into some doors on it. So for me, I knew that my, my strength was being able to get in front of people. So what I did when people ask me all the time, what did I do? I started reaching out. At the time, I was already heavy on social media. 
So I started reaching out to people through Messenger saying, hey, I would love to be able to sit down with you, just talk about what I got going on. But first off, I would always, always ask about what do they have going on? And this was something that I learned early on. And uh, and it was called teammate, right? Tell me about you. So that was, hey, I, I see what you're doing. Tell me about what you got going on. People love to talk about themselves. People love to be able to be the center of attention, regardless of what it is. Maybe they don't want to be the center of attention in a large crowd, but in a one-on-one coffee, they will become the center of attention if you can get them to talk about what excites them, right? So this was something I learned early by going to a lot of networking events. I was first starting off asking people, hey, what do you do? But somebody or I read it or something had told me, you know, hey, don't ask people what they do. Ask them, hey, what are you excited about? It's different right? What are you excited about? And if they're like, Oh, well, what do you mean? And it's like, well, what are your current hobbies right now? What are you, what are you doing? Or ask people what, what gets you up in the morning? They're going to tell you about their kids. They're going to tell you about their dogs. They're going to tell you about their first generation that they, whatever it is. And you can, and now you find a way to relate to them, right? Cause that's what it is. It's, it's so many people that come to me, especially when it comes to the topic of building relationships, people are like, Hey, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to start conversations. Well, understand that all you have to do is ask a question. Most wow. people, they don't know because they're so afraid to talk about themselves. They think that their story is not good enough. They think that their strengths aren't strong enough, whatever it is, but that's the wrong way to approach it. Just ask someone else, Hey, wh- why are you here? Oh, I'm here because I, we just started this company. So I need to get the word out about it. Oh, tell me about the company. So, so uh, I love that. I love that. You're just always interested in, in other people. But let me ask you this. What, what are you doing to generate the leads that you're generating right now for your real estate? Yeah. So for me, on the real estate agent side and even on the investing side, I'll be honest, I have a lot of connects. And the reason why is because I always make sure that I'm branding myself through social media, um, through being present. I've, yeah. I've, I have a very good network now and it's happened. Or it didn't just happen overnight. Right. But here's what I started to do when I first, nobody knew who I was in the real estate business. Every time now, what you ideally, if you're in the real estate business, what I, what, I learned early on was it was listings to last. So you needed a listing to be able to control the market. Well, I started out working with buyers because I didn't have any listings and I wasn't cold calling people. So here's what I did to try to hack the system. Whenever you would buy a home with me, since I couldn't put my sold sign on the house, you know, obviously the listing agent puts their sold sign on the house. Since I couldn't do that, I would take my sold sign to the closing. And then I would say, hey, Frank, after we got to the closing and you're the happiest, I would say, hey, if you don't mind, can we take a picture with my sold sign? Which was better because now I could publish this on social media. I could tag you in it and then you also share it. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I got that all out. And then so what happened was quickly I was getting up to three to four closings a week. So in the beginning, everybody's like, who is this kid? But then after a while, it's like, I don't know who the hell this kid is, but he's selling everything. So it then just became like an omnipresence. There is a difference between branding and sales and you brand. Yeah. And I believe in branding a hundred percent. I wouldn't have half of the revenue I have now because uh, if I didn't do branding, uh, yeah, we so, talked about that on my show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I believe in sales too, and you need to do sales. You know, if there's nothing, if you have nothing else in the pipeline, um, you have to, you know, make calls, do whatever you have to do to reach out to people who are cold. Branding really is like warming, warming your audience up and getting mm-hmm. them to reach out to you, or you reach out to them after you've sent them some information or whatever the case may be uh, to warm them up. 
Uh, and so, so you've never done like ever done cold calls ever. I have. I've just never, like, I always found it a way. Yeah, because when I was at that digital marketing job, keep in mind, I was I was in a unique position because I was working for a, a top telephone directory company, right? Like the Yellow Pages. So they were losing so many customers and they were trying to now hire people to transition them to digital marketing because uh-huh. they're losing everybody out of the phone book. So yeah. obviously I had to cold call people on top of trying to keep the people who were already trying to leave the phone book and now bundle them them up but for me I always try to find some other way to just get in front of you because I got a lot of energy right and if you hear that energy on the phone it could be misconstrued as like this kid is too eager to sell me but when you met me in person you're like wow this kid is just has a ball of energy and I like it and obviously we know that with sales if you're enthusiastic that's 70% of the battle if you can get somebody excited that's 70% of the battle wow I love it. So, and, and so you, uh, to get somebody excited, just ask, ask them what they're excited about. Is that, or ask them. Or no. Talk so I, I think to get someone excited, first off, you have to show where it can take them. So right. for me, when I was talking about real estate, the, the thing is, yes, I wanted to pitch home ownership and that was all great because you get people, especially on the residential side, it's an emotional purchase. So you get people thinking about their family, you know, what they can get, things like that. But where I took it a, a next step and how I tried to differentiate myself was after we would build a little bit of rapport, I was always talking to people about investing, right? Because I would then I would tell people like, okay, what about if you could buy a property and create, you know, in a additional three to $500 in cash flow. What about if you could take your 401k and be able to put that to then create $30,000 in equity, right? There were so many things that I would do. So I would figure out like, what are their problems? What are they really trying to accomplish? And I used my energy to try to sell it because I knew that at the end of the day, we all look for inspiration. I don't care how, how successful you are, right? Even if it's Jeff Bezos, right? There's something out there that every day he goes to something, whether it's his little girl's recital, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's something that inspires him that just wants him to smile. Because at the end of the day, we all can get caught into a rut and we don't want to be in a rut because then life gets boring. And so for me, I always just tried to to bring energy and charisma and, and, and I I think that that worked for me. Uh, So, so what I, what I'm understanding from you is Make sure you show interest in them. Mm-hmm. Um, find out their their what what their needs are, where where you can help them, and also what they're most excited about, and that can really help you sell. And then also on top of that, be enthusiastic as possible about your product. Um, and uh, so, what were you doing? So is that what you were doing? Is that what your closing process? That's how you got people to purchase from you more often, was or to to work with you more often. Yeah. So I think that was how I initially got it going, but how I, I closed, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't the, the ABC closer. So I know what that is. But for me, I just, I allowed my energy to do the work, but then on the back end, okay, how did I execute on it? One, my follow-up, especially in my first couple of years, but I would even argue to say that it still is very strong. Right. Yeah. And so the follow-up game is where a lot of people get slipped through the cracks. No matter how good on the front side you are, you have to follow up with someone because so many people will make that initial contact, right? Five, six, seven, 10 people will all make that initial contact. But for me, what I found was when let's use real estate, for example, because at the time, obviously that's, that's what I was doing. But after you come through my open house, right? Within one hour of the open house being over, I would make sure that I followed up with you. 
Right. And so that was huge because people were like, oh, my God. But on top of that, I made sure that I didn't just say, hey, did you like the house? Do you want to buy it? I always tried to lead with something of value. So at that time, what was I leading with a value? I would build the original conversation. I would say, "Okay, you guys are in this open house or you guys are looking at houses. Have you already spoken with a lender? If they said, yeah, we already have. We got a lender. Great. Well, you can keep your lender. But here's what I like to do to anyone that hasn't that is open to it. I like to make sure that I can at least give them another option so they can compare. For me, it doesn't matter who you go with, right? Nothing changes on my end. But if I could save you a half a percentage on interest rate or $100, $150 a month, then I'm happy with that. And I'm sure you will be too. So if you don't mind, no strings attached, I'll just send you over my lender. I would encourage you to compare. And uh, if that works out better for you, that's great. If not, stick with your lender, totally fine. And then when I followed up with them, I would make sure I connected them with the lender. Now I got somebody else that has an invested interest because the lender's happy that he has another potential uh, lead. And then obviously the people are happy, especially if the lender is gonna bite the bullet a little bit and make sure we can both get this deal closed. Got it, got it. So let's say you were following up and you wanted to connect uh, your prospect to this lender after like let's say they didn't respond to you like a few times then what would you start doing was there any strategy behind that like yeah so so at the time i did have uh, a crm and i still have a, a crm right so there was drip campaigns like for me i created a system um it's 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 a little system called podio um if you've ever heard of it but it's yeah i've heard of podio yeah, um, it's like an open source little system that you can, you can customize, you can create your own follow-ups, things like that. So I'll be honest, I learned about this early on and I wanted to make sure that I could follow up really soon. So here's what I did. I already created a template. So before you even left out of the open house, as long as you gave me your name, your email, um, and, and that was basically all I needed, I had the app on my phone that I would type in your name and your email, and then I would type in the property address. And right when I hit submit, it would automatically fill in those lines, right? Like it was basically smart forms. And then it would say, hey, Frank, thanks for coming to meet me at, you know, 123 Mystery Lane. It was a pleasure um, talking to you. As promised, I'm going to follow up with the lender, da, 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 da. So that was the initial concept. You're like, shit. And then all of a sudden, within that next hour or so, because I needed to know the lender, right? Or because I try to match people up with people who I thought as well. Right. If I seen that you had that, like, what were you looking for? What were the things that you liked? Are you looking for the lowest interest rate? Are you looking for a name brand bank? If you tell me you're already with Wells Fargo, right, then you're probably a name brand type person. Um, Can I connect you with a local lender? Something like that. So it was always trying to be on strategy with it. I love it. I love it. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, you know how if somebody, you know, wants real estate or they want uh, they're in your area and they want to, uh, bring their kids to your daycare, what, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms at Casanova, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A, underscore, R-O-O-K-S, if you just search me. But then also, I would say the best way to connect with me is the Dream Nation podcast. Um, and you can find that at dreamnationpodcast.com. Um, that's why I try to inspire. That's why I try to answer as many questions, both in the episodes and also outside of the episodes. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for uh, doing the podcast. We really appreciate it and look forward to conversing with you again soon. Absolutely.